Good morning, everyone. Friends, the, our first reading in the story of Abram, who will become Abraham, uh, God sets him and his kinfolk apart. He, asks, he calls upon Abram to leave behind uh, the ways of paganism. Remember, he was just like the other folks of his time. And so God asks him to come away from them. Come with me. And you will become a blessing to many. And Abraham would uh, not eventually understand. Well, he, he's with God. Now he does. But uh, he would not understand while on earth all that that would mean. In our second reading, uh, Paul is saying, um, in this world there will be beautiful things, but there will be struggles. And you know the promise that has been made to you, you have been saved. And in that salvation, you will have life eternal. So you, may, you can face the world, this world, with all of its challenges, if you come to believe this. And we have, uh, as read almost always in the Lenten season, the transfiguration, an event that happens. And my friends, without understanding, and I know sometimes people, well, why does Father Mark talk to us about these little things and these words and stuff? Because uh, I hope that they will be retained by you and that you would understand if you just read the transfiguration, oh, isn't that wonderful? What a beautiful afternoon. <laughs> All those things happen, but there's much more going on. And uh, my friends, uh, um, today we hear about the great prophets, and uh, if you were to look up, um, you would see Abraham is the first one up on the, on the beam, and the second one is Moses, and the third one is Elijah, the great prophets. We put them up there. I put them up there indicating they're with God, and they are. And my friends, um, this story, uh, first, uh, Jesus takes the three apostles apart, aside from the others, and he takes them up to a mountain. And the mountain represents for them where oftentimes God has spoken. God spoke to Moses from the mountain. And uh, last week you hear uh, Satan, he does something different. He takes them up to a high top, a mountain, and says, I'll show you everything. And Jesus is taking them now to a mountain. And let me tell you something different from what happened with Satan. And so they're up on the mountain. And this is where the people of God understands. And then I taught you about Shekinah. Shekinah is a, a, just not a cloud. Like, it's a cloud that has light. And we are told, if you go back to this reading, you'll see the Shekinah is there. Shekinah represents God. So they're on a mountain where God normally speaks to people in their time. The cloud of light is there. That's God. We actually hear uh, that not only when he speaks, they all hear. And... Um, Lorenza, Moses, and Elijah, um, neither one of them entered into the promised land. Remember, uh, yet there they are. And um, in Jesus' time, uh, you needed two witnesses in order to speak about a truth. You needed two witnesses in their courts to testify. So uh, Elijah and Moses are the two. Moses represents all the law, the Torah. And Elijah, all the prophets. And they're there, not just because it's a fun afternoon, they're there to talk to Jesus about something. We don't know what they were talking to him about. But they also come to testify. They are the witnesses. I mean, they wrote about it. And my friends, uh, with the Hebrews, the Torah and the book of the prophets were read all the time. Uh, but in particular, uh, around the Feast of the Tabernacles, 
Feast of the Tabernacles are when the Jews would, uh, they put up tents. You see the reference to the tent? Uh, before they entered into the promised land. Mm, this is key. And um, they're there, and they're testifying, and the particular readings that they would have read in Feast of the Tabernacles was the coming of the Messiah. So Elijah and Moses are there to testify that this is the Messiah, and if they didn't get that, God himself says, this is my son. Listen to him. And my friends, um, these become important pieces. So they're just not little things. They're, um, uh, we see uh, the light, uh, a light that comes. This light is the light that created everything. This is God. And the light wasn't shining around Jesus. It came through him. So they're given a glimpse about something. About what? Um, in a short time, Jesus is going to die a terrible death. And as Isaiah would tell us, he won't even look like a man anymore because they have tortured him so much. And we'll hear about this in a couple more weeks, how horrible it is. So he is so disfigured, you will not understand. He won't even look like a man anymore. But on this mountain, Jesus is transfigured. So when the time comes when he's disfigured, they're hoping that this scene from the gospel account shows him transfigured so that they won't be afraid. They're going to be afraid anyway. And they're going to run. And perhaps uh, this is a theophany event also. I taught you what that word meant. God kind of revealing, not revealing, but God talking to himself in the Trinity. I think uh, perhaps Moses and Elijah, we don't know what they were talking about. I suspect they're talking about the crucifixion because that is going to happen in a very short time when they come down from that mountain. And last week, um, uh, we heard the story of Jesus for 40 days in the desert. And this week, um, this is an account on the mountain. Now, I've set you up so you understand what the scene is. And uh, again, on the mountain is where one often encounters God in their time. And uh, the mountaintop recounted in today's gospel was a wondrous event for Peter and James and John. They were taken aside. They had a glimpse of the glory and the truth about Jesus of Nazareth, this man uh, who they call rabbi, who they call Lord, but didn't understand. And they hear the words of God the Father this is my beloved one. This is my son. Listen to him. The journey to the mountain of transfiguration was a rough one. Their journey began when Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus explained that the Messiah had to suffer and die and would rise from the dead. And the disciples were not having it. It was horrible to them to think this. It was as if in our time you heard that your best friend just got a cancer diagnosis and they have six months to live. That's basically what Jesus was telling them. The account of the transfiguration in our lectionary doesn't tell you this, but it begins with this. Six days later. So this is the seventh day that they're on the mountain. Keep that seventh day in thought. Six days after what? Six days after Jesus said, they're going to take me, they're going to beat me, they're going to kill me. So for six days they've been walking. 
yeah, no, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Well, you read the scriptures. That's not going to happen. So much so, Peter tells Jesus, oh, no. And Jesus says, behind me, Satan. For six days, they carried the news of Jesus' execution on their minds and in their hearts. But on the seventh day, Jesus took Peter and James and John up on the mountain. Does that number sound familiar to you? Seven? Fullness? The seventh day? Oh my gosh, did you guys have coffee yet? <laughs> there on the seventh day on the mountaintop, they saw the glory, the divinity of Jesus Christ. Here on the seventh day on this mountain that we call the Christian celebration, the day of the Lord. My friends, uh, as Christians, we do not celebrate the Sabbath. This is something the church needs to explain to you better because we make references to it all the time. The Sabbath in Jewish time happened on Friday night to Saturday night. And Jesus, because he's the Messiah and he had his Paschal mystery, the Sabbath is fulfilled. We do something different. On Sunday, the seventh day, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, the day of the Lord. And we are given a chance to see the bigger picture and the deeper meaning. You are separated from the city right now, and you come into this holy place, this holy mountain. And in the same way Jesus was hoping to give them the bigger picture, I'm hoping you'll get the bigger picture about your life here as a Christian. It is a fundamental feast day for Christians, Sunday. On Sunday, we relive the experience of the disciples who are on the road to Emmaus, where they came to recognize Jesus in the scriptures and the breaking of the bread. Every Sunday is a little Easter. Every Sunday is a little Easter. I still expect you here on Easter Sunday. The challenge is that many of our folks get so absorbed into the weekend as a time just to catch up and for others still to work. And it's supposed to be so much more. And in its originality, that is what the Hebrew Sabbath was about. It's a chance to experience the sacred Sunday. It's a day to enjoy the fruits of your labor and to enjoy family and friends. Sunday is the day of the Lord when you hear the word of God and apply it to your life and receive the great gift of the Lord in the Eucharist. It's a time for us to see our life in the light of Jesus and his Paschal mystery, to recall that and that everything that we do, we are to celebrate as disciples the day of the Lord, his resurrection. Sunday is also a day of the church, the Christian church, for us Christians, when we are reminded that we are part of a community of faith, that our life is a part of the church's life, and that the church's life with her concerns and challenges and successes should be yours also. For us, the celebration of Sunday Mass with word and sacrament become for us disciples, the source and summit of the faith. Sunday is our time on the mountain where we get a larger vision, put things into perspective, I would hope, and to grow in holiness and to let this day when you leave help to prepare you for the week ahead. Even if you're going on vacation, 
to prepare with great joy and, as it may be, perhaps it's not going to be a great week for some. But it takes effort to get here and to be fully present when you are here. So when I'm up here at the Amble and I can see you looking down on your phones, texting, if you're not texting Jesus, then you need to put your phone away. Sunday is a time when we come close to the Lord. We come to hear His truth, experience His ways. And for us Roman Catholics, experience the Eucharist. We join our prayers to His sacrifice. We renew our discipleship and our faith and our confidence in Him. We profess the creed, which is all that we believe. His truths are to bind us together, and we are to come to know and experience God. We are called every week to a mountain of prayer that is Sunday Mass. Here we learn to leave behind the false gods that we hear about in the first reading in its larger text, where Abraham is called by God to leave all that fake stuff behind and walk in newness. Here we come to know the grace of a new and eternal covenant to eternal life, a life of holiness, not according to our own design, but according to Christ's design, by which St. Peter referenced today. Here we receive grace and fortitude to assist us in difficult times, as Jesus says to us, Rise and do not be afraid. Sunday Mass is one of the defining marks of our Catholic identity and about how serious we really are about walking in holiness and being true disciples of Jesus Christ. And I know some folks say, well, I don't need to go to church on Sunday. I can pray to God anywhere. Yes, that's true, but I have found that you just don't. You watch TV, you clean the house, etc., 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 But of course, when you come here to this mountain of holiness and offer your prayers and come together as a family, Christians, we do it all. Here at Mass, we are assured of the presence of Christ in word and sacrament. It is more than just a time of personal prayer. Here we join our prayer to the prayer of the church. Jesus has no need anymore to be transfigured, for he is in glory. However, we still need transformation, you and I. The Lord doesn't need Sunday. We do. It's about us. It's always been about us. My friends, in this transfiguration of Jesus, um, ultimately was a gift to the apostles to prepare them for what was coming, his death, his execution. It was meant to strengthen their faith on that day of challenge and trial so that remembering Jesus' glory on that mountain, they could endure his death with hope in the resurrection that he told them about. And yet the scandal of the cross was too much for them. It wasn't until he actually rose from the dead that they began to believe. We are blessed to look back in faith upon the Paschal mystery, to believe that Jesus died and yet was raised up, to realize that the transfiguration is but a prelude, a foreshadowing to the resurrection. All of this has taken place for our benefit, for our salvation. And my friends, as you heard from the announcements, five funerals next week. It takes its toll on a priest, 
Not because we don't believe in the resurrection, but because we feel the pain that the family feels at the passing of a loved one, and we try and get them into that place of transfiguration, that they understand, and that they can bear the grief because they have to. That's what happens when you love someone. When a loved one goes before us in death, we may be inclined to think that this awesome aspect of being a disciple, the resurrection of the faithful ones, makes no sense or is just a dream or is just fanciful thinking. And when faced with our own impending death, we too may be tempted to fear that we will go into nothingness. We will just cease to exist. One may ask themselves, can this all be true? This wonderful promise of the resurrection, of the fullness of life, Jesus has given us the promise of the resurrection, a guarantee for our faith and strength to have hope in such times. Jesus' words, his promise is, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, I will raise you up on the last day. He's talking about the body, the resurrection of the body. But in the meantime, we go to heaven. My friends, for Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life and the repose of souls of your faithful ones. Christ our God, to you we ascribe power and glory and honor with the Father who is from everlasting and the life-giving Holy Spirit now until ages upon ages. Amen. And my friends, at baptism, each one of you who are baptized, you won't remember this because you're probably babies, but at baptism, a light is lit and it is said, receive the light of Christ. That light that uh, is spoken about on the mountain, that divinity you have already in baptism. So you're supposed to live that way. St. Paul says, so be imitators of God as his beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and had himself over for us as a sacrificial offering to God for a fragrant aroma. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for light produces every kind of goodness and righteousness and truth. He ends it with, try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. That is in his letter to the Ephesians. In baptism, you are given the light of Christ, that light, that very light that created everything. My friends, this morning, last night I was laughing because I thought, with all of our technology and our science, those are all great. God put them all there. I always say, according to his mathematical principles, there's no tension. He does mysterious things all the time, and we're constantly following and trying to get at it. And I thought, you yeah, still can't. We know how gravity works, but we don't know why. <laughs> Ask God. He created it. <laughs> From the beginning. It's a great mystery for us. What happened on that mountain is a great mystery. When we die, and we shed this body, and that light really shines, it's a mystery. But it's real. As real as gravity, my dear 